I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Well, Mike, I'm feeling pretty fortunate that we have Ian Tullock here. Absolutely. Because I don't really have much to offer after the Leafs beat the Ottawa Senators in what was a pretty underwhelming game. Mm-hmm. Four to two. Uh, they got the two points they needed, uh, but it wasn't overly convincing in any sort of way. Uh, and I don't really know how Leaf fans are feeling after this one. So I'm going to defer to a couple of them right here. Yeah. It, what's great is that uh, our job is to break down every Leafs game. And uh, we were having trouble breaking down this game. So we brought in outside help. We got Ian Tullock from The Athletic over here. Uh, so, Ian. What did you think of this game? Outsourcing your material. We are. Here, the podcast professionals. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed what you guys are doing with this post-game podcast. I think it's a really good idea. I like the fact that you're doing it on video, too. I just think that there's a lot of content out there around the Leafs, but I haven't seen a post-game podcast. And I think that that's something that there's going to be an appetite for. And I'm happy that you brought me on. I'm not happy that it was for this game because Mm -hmm. I wish it was one that we actually had a lot more to dive into, but I guess we'll talk about some more overarching topics Mm -hmm. that kind of affect the season. This game was a weird one against the Senators. The final score was 4-2. It was a lot closer than that. Did not feel like that. Because there was an empty net goal. So really, I never count empty net goals in my head because it's like the inner coach in me. Once the empty net scored, you're thinking, yeah, that didn't really... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah. Represent how the game actually went. I, I will say at least it was a nice one. It was probably the nicest one. You're going to count one. an empty net goal. Count Mitch Marner's lob from his side of, or inside his blue line. It was pretty nice. Us a, little, watching, a little skill from Marner, but sort of And he waited it really well. Us too. watching the game, we reacted like Kevin Harlan did to the Kawhi shot. We all just went, whoa. Yeah, the, and the, it was that great. That was the thing about this game. There was three moments that were mm-hmm. like, you know, as a fan or if you're watching in a bar or whatever on the couch, you actually really enjoyed Matthew's goal. Yeah. The two pad stack on Zach Hyman and then the weighted empty netter. Yeah. But after that, that was really it. There was nothing. I mean, Ottawa Senators hockey this year, unfortunately, they have some fun talent to watch in Thomas Shabbat. Brady Kachuk's talented and a bit of a jerk. But, you know, when you look at their talent as a whole, their games aren't going to be that fun. It reminds me a bit of Detroit, where there's only so much you can do with the limited offensive talent that they have. The Matthews goal that you mentioned, I think Justin was the one who said it in real time, that it reminded him exactly of the goal that he scored against Ottawa four years ago in his debut. And then I think the broadcast pointed that out as well and compared the two sides by side came in from the left wing kind of faked like he was going to pass it to the middle of the ice and then released it off the blade of his stick in a way that the goaltender wasn't expecting and I think that's Austin Matthews in a nutshell his release it's really deceptive Mm -hmm. and it gets to the point where he's coming in 
and the goaltender doesn't know when it's coming off of his stick. And you don't even need to put it in the perfect spot. As long as you just get rid of it quickly in a way that the goaltender isn't ready for, as long as you put it somewhere that's decent, whether it's five hole just above the pad, that's a pretty good chance of going in. I think it's deceiving because it's not a high percentage shot in any way. I think most players don't take that shot. I mean, yep. we... we harp on William Nylander and Kasperi Kapanen for always like turning back when they're driving on the uh on the uh the I guess, streaking on curl. The streaking down the wing and they Button curl hook. up yep but that's that's an area where one of those two players would either taken it behind the net sort of tried to pull it to the center or tried to find someone to pass with Matthews he's so quick to get that shot off he can beat a goaltender from a pretty bad angle in an area that goaltenders should be stopping pucks from so uh, that's just one more example I think there's an example every game it seems of him just being different than all the other guys that are trying to score goals for the Maple Leafs and he's had that skill since day one like we, we know just because of how eerily similar it was to that that goal that he scored in his first uh or his NHL debut like he's he is being you know just as lethal he, obviously he's grown more lethal but I mean the fact that he was able to do that as an as a rookie making his debut is, is remarkable and, and and that goal was just so it was exactly it was almost exactly the same like it was crazy he was coming down the exact same wing put it through the exact same spot it was it was great to see and the narrative before the game made it even better too because we had that infamous quote that came out and Justin has spent all night just loving to trample on this narrative so thanks for that um well you got to explain the narrative well we will I, I was about to are we gonna get that was just so we got to get to the takeaways first Usually oh, we, we only have two takeaways, yeah, and we're going to only have two again because I'm refusing to offer one, or I'll just defer. He's doing to Ian. It in protest, so we're going to let Ian start yes. with his takeaway of uh, tonight's win. Yeah, we joked beforehand that you're not going to do your takeaway; that you're going to Alex Kerfoot it. You're yeah. going to have the puck wide open in the slot, goaltender is down, ready for me for you to shoot it, and you're just going to pass it off to the side. And I'm going to just tap it in, baby. Don't want it. Tap, tap, tap a So, I really like Toronto's backup goaltending and I can't remember the last time I said that that makes three of us so Jack Campbell is funny because when he was drafted he was drafted in the first round as this crazy athletic long goalie and he was never able to fully put it together he had a few different stops in the AHL and I think it was two seasons ago with LA where he had that fantastic season real breakout this season was a bit up and down his save percentage was bad but Jonathan Quicks was way worse and if you look at that LA team anytime you're looking at a team with a terrible save percentage that's low in the standings it feels like one of those situations it's kind of hard to quantify because if the defenseman isn't trying on a two-on-one or no one's skating back and odd man rushes giving up backdoor passes a lot of the time save percentage can be indicative of your defense as much as it is your goaltender. Just look at the New York Islanders, for example. The defensive structure that they have in mm-hmm. place results in their goaltenders having a very high save percentage. In L.A., uh, I don't think players are trying as hard as they used to back in the day. Ilya Kovalchuk? Yeah, Ilya Kovalchuk on the back track. You need a 9-2. The thing is, he had a he had a 9-2-8 save percentage last year in 31 games. And yep. b- playing behind an L.A. team that was, I would say they're arguably, like in, at least in terms of advanced metrics, they're arguably worse last year than they are this year. And the fact that he put up close to a 930 is pretty remarkable. I think he's up to a 919 in a yeah. Leafs uniform, if I read that correctly. You did read that correctly. But more than just the stats, just watching Campbell play, you can see that he's tracking the puck well when the puck goes back to the blue line and there are a bunch of bodies in front of the goaltender. A lot of the times when that puck gets through and it goes in, you'll hear a goalie analyst on TV say, oh, the goaltender had no chance on that one. But I always get frustrated because, you know, the former goaltender in me just says, you have to fight harder to find that puck. It's Mm -hmm. your job to not let a puck get through a screen and you not be able to track it. Campbell's done a great job of tracking those pucks, making sure that those long shots that come through screens, he's able to track them down, block it into the corner. He's really athletic in the way that he's able to get post to post. I've liked what I've seen from him. We're probably going to talk a bit later on about whether or not down the line he could be a starter for Toronto, Mm -hmm. especially when Frederick Anderson's contract is up. But for now, he already has three wins. If he gets six wins in total and the Leafs make the playoffs, that third-round pick becomes a second-round pick in the trade, that conditional pick. But again, it'll be well worth it if that's the case. We're already halfway there, and I've really liked what I've seen from Jack Campbell so far. You sacrificed that second-round pick to get in the playoffs this year every day of the week. And this came, like, we've 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 talked about Jack Campbell because the first episode of this podcast happened when he got traded, but we've talked about him and his performance pretty much every night, it seems, because he's played pretty much every night. We've had to. Especially and considering how poorly Frederick Anderson's yes. been playing lately. The fact that Jack Campbell has been doing so well, it's a big storyline right now. And this, the fact that they pulled this, like, we, we're now, we've we spent a lot of time on, on a previous podcast talking about if he has saved the Leafs season 
And I, I was in the in the camp of yes, he has because he has given them in a very tight playoff race. I mean, they're up, uh, I think it's four points on Florida right now, and they got a game in hand, or Florida's got a game in hand. So they like every point matters. And he came in, and the fact that they pulled, they they made this trade so far ahead of the deadline, is another thing. Like the timeliness of the trade, the timeliness of bringing in this guy to give them some stability, has has uh, arguably been the biggest factor of this trade, other than his performance. And that like if they had waited until what is it like next Monday. It would have been like it might have been too late. You know when a great time would have been? What? July. Yeah. August. Yeah. September. October. Look, no, there's November, Jeff Merrick. December. Jeff Merrick loves to bring up the uh, the the ancient. I think it's a Chinese proverb that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now, and that's exactly what they did. They 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 pulled the. It would have been great to get him. You know, in the off season, they didn't, and that's you know, and, and I believe we have roasted you know the team enough for that, but they got him. And look what he's doing. And they gave up your boy Trevor Moore to get him. Just yeah. Rub that in one more time. We will mention that every podcast. And we're also going to mention every podcast when Jack Campbell plays what the score would have been <laughs> if Michael Hutchinson was in net. This is Mike's favorite segment of the show from now and moving forward. So, Mike, what would the final have been had Hutchinson been in net? I believe uh, my final tally was 9 3. 9 to 3 for the Ottawa Senators. It's so great watching a game with Mikey because he's yelling at the at the TV as it happens. Oh, Hutchinson wouldn't have had that like, one. I, I, it got to the point where it'd be like Jack Campbell make the sprawling save, and I just wouldn't even be looking up from the computer, just be like 7 2. <laughs> Keep going. Hey, someone who didn't think about it that much would have said nine to four, but you you knew that Mitch Marner could have never scored that empty netter. No, had Hutchinson been in there. It was the magic so of I'll Campbell that, that willed that. Look, the puck. Yes, he's got skill, but the puck going in the net and falling as perfectly as it did. That was the magic of Jack Campbell. It was probably because one of those stick taps on an earlier shift yeah. that gave Marner the confidence to go out there and do it. If you ask me, yes. Yeah. Okay, Mike. Let's go to your takeaway. Well, my takeaway is this game, and, and this game should not have been as close as it was, and, and the wording of that sounds sounds weird apparently, but this was a, in terms of the on-ice results, we'll get into those, this was a, a the Ottawa Senators outplayed the Leafs tonight, but in a, in, a, in a macro sense, this game should not have been this close. This should have been a dominating win by the Leafs. Um, these, this is the Ottawa Senators, for goodness sakes. I mean, it is, like, they, they were a bad hockey team. They play hard, and that's great, but it's not like you had to travel very far. You had at least some time to re- relax, recuperate, and the fact that you know you're going into this barn that is mainly your fans now, it's almost like a home game, and they and they got pretty resoundingly outplayed by by the Senators and kind of eked eked out a win, almost collapsed again. I mean, I in a, in a again in a time where points are so valuable, so hard to come by, it, like. It's great that they got two of them, but it shouldn't have been this close. Can I push back on that a little bit? No, it's my podcast. Get at no, absolutely, go for <sighs> okay, it. Okay, doors that way. I'm literally on a uh, a cushion right now, yeah, just so I can make myself seem seat as tall in. as you guys. My chair is shorter than your guys, to be fair. Excuses. But I am also physically shorter mm-hmm. than you guys. But the point I was going to make is that if you look at the Leafs' record in games where they're winning after two periods, they're actually middle of the pack. Yeah. And they were middle of the pack since January 1st. They're middle of the pack since Keith took over. Middle of the pack since the beginning of the season. They're not great at it, but funnily enough, Boston has been terrible at it this season. The St. Louis Blues have been worse at it. And those are the two teams that everyone brings up when they talk about how the Leafs got to learn how to play heavy, defensive-oriented hockey. And those are two teams who have actually blown more third-period leads than the Leafs. So as much as we get frustrated with moments where the Leafs look a bit shaky defensively and a 3-1 lead turns into a 3-2 lead, turns into a collapsing defensive zone kind of concern late in the game, the numbers indicate that they're not as bad at it as this market tends to make us think, uh, especially when you look at some of the major broadcast networks. It is a recency bias thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean... Uh, yeah, we overreact to everything. We're obviously going to overreact when there's a bunch of you know blown leads mm-hmm. in a row. And I think we might, if they haven't been getting these wins, probably overreact to the way they play to get the Senators. Yeah. I mean, there may soon be a time where the Senators aren't the team that aren't they the can, Senators. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, hey, I'm I'm cheering for them. I want everything. I want good things to happen to the Senators because I want this to be a rivalry again. And they could soon have like two of the top, you know, have two of the top two picks. Yeah. Uh, in the draft coming up, uh, but what this team is with in the absence of like elite finishing talent is just a team that can be mildly effective very from annoying shift to shift like it's just dj smith 
getting these guys, you know, assembling these guys in a way in which they're sort of annoying and can kind of frustrate you, but they really can't hurt you in many ways unless you're no, you know, you don't have the goaltending on this night. And on this night, they did have the goaltending. They really, from shift to shift, they had a lot, they had a lot of the run of the play. I mean, they were, they were uh, threatening the Leafs for shift and shift or shift upon shift for a while. Uh, and they just couldn't really find anything of substance and anything that could really beat Jack Campbell. But when they have those guys, and they could soon have those guys, this could be a little interesting because it looks like DJ Smith has something for the Leafs. He's uh, he he's one of those coaches that you know he gets put. He's you know the underdog kind of guy. He's being assistant the whole time. The players clearly love him. He goes into a situation that is pretty toxic in Ottawa. And this is almost like it once the Ottawa Senators get those two top picks and eventually become successful, like Ben Affleck or someone will play him in a movie and it'll win like an Oscar or something because he just comes in. He's like, oh, they were in turmoil, but he got the boys together and he taught them how to play with each other. And there were some wily vets and Ron Hainsey who came in and helped them. And, you know, and they, and they became they went from being individual players into a family like it's he, I there's a reason why players really like him, and you can see they like playing for him. This is an annoying hockey team. You know who loves playing for DJ Smith? Who? Nikita Zaitsev. Oh, thank you. What a lovely segue. Thank you. I mean, that was a prof- like, that's where we were going next. We needed to go there. Yes. We're running a little long. We're on tangents, and Tulloch puts us right in the direction we need to be in. The preamble coming into this one was the quote from DJ Smith, mm-hmm. who said he's going to match up Zaitsev with Matthews shift for shift because that's the guy, I guess, who's best equipped to shut down uh, one of the best goal scorers in the NHL right now. Uh, I don't know if it was quite shift for shift. But, I don't think so. But Z got a little, got Matthews a little bit. I mean, there was the mo- there was obviously Matthews' goal, of course. And goals are important, Zaitsev right? had to be there in that moment, but uh, Zaitsev wasn't caved in tonight. It wasn't caved in tonight, but the, my biggest thing with Zaitsev is his gap control. And when I hear DJ Smith talk about Zaitsev's feet, and I'm thinking, I guess he's talking about feet in the defensive zone when he's defending against the cycle, whereas the part of Zaitsev's game that's always infuriated me is the fact that he just keeps backing up and backing up and backing up, and he gives you too much space. And then you're able to get around him wide, and that's what Matthews is able to do, and that's where he scored his goal. And I think Zaitsev's been overvalued by NHL coaches for a long time. Uh, Mike Babcock and DJ Smith being uh, two of the most notable ones. Who? And Who's the first one you just said there? I not, can't remember. Not familiar. Yeah. Not an NHL head coach anymore, to my knowledge. But, yeah, uh, you can say that Zaitsev played decently against Matthews. But, again, I just – when you burn him down the wing and you score on him in that way that we talked about to start the podcast, I just have a hard time saying that this is a guy that I trust out there against the league's best players. I know that when Muzzin and Zaitsev had top competition in the playoffs, they did well. But Muzzin can play well with anyone, so I don't know what to make of that. Frankly, I've never been a huge Zaitsev fan. I've always thought that Even he's... this rookie year? Yeah, that rookie year. Because that's what got him the sweet deal. He looked pretty good in that. Probably, he probably peaked as a player in his rookie year, for being real. You always like to see that, you know, peaking in your rookie year, for Kino sure. Solani. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez, Louise. Oh, come on, 76 goals. He's no, never I doing know. that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it's more of an indictment on the way that top line played for the Leafs. Yeah. I, just th- I don't think they were very good tonight. They didn't really do much beyond that one moment with Matthews. Uh, but this is like a recurring theme. Like we're always talking about, wow, Matthews looks good. From, like every sh- every you know second, third shift, damn, he's like really going. But, but the guys nothing else him. really going on around him. I think that's the only reason why uh, Zaitsev have managed to escape without embarrassment tonight because people were gonna pile on if there was you know a lot if it was if he spent the entire night pulling pucks out of his own net. Uh, but there was that one instance, obviously, with Matthews on the goal. Um, but DJ Smith can avoid ridicule, I think, even if they weren't that good anyway. The, have it, having it come in the first period was a little rough. Like that was that really set the stage for that. But the, you know the Leafs. I mean the Sens did outplay the Leafs. I mean the you know in terms of advanced stats, it was thirty seven percent Corsi for the Leafs, fifty for Ottawa. High danger scoring chances was twelve to nine favor the Sens, and the expected goals was two point zero seven for Ottawa, one point nine six for the Leafs. This was uh, this was a, a win that they you know the, and again it goes back to my takeaway going into this game. This was this was a, a you know an outcome that they were lucky to kind of skate by with, and it shouldn't be like that against the Senators. Did I don't care s- how plucky they are. Did you say thirty-seven percent Corsi for Toronto and fifty percent for Ottawa? Yeah, uh, that's, that's what that's what natural Statric. Where did the other thirteen percent go? Uh, go ask natural Statric. That's what was up there. I'm really curious about that now. Is it? I, I don't know how the math works on that, but uh, it didn't seem to add up to me. No, it doesn't. I'm not a numbers guy. You're wait, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> then what? <laughs> Why right. did we invite you in? <laughs> but who? Uh, as as we were talking about before, Jack Campbell. 
guy plays amazing. And uh, someone else who is not playing amazing right now is Frederick Anderson. And we asked this on the last podcast. I refuse to bite, but you can ask him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do we have a goaltending controversy? controversy? Jack Campbell should be the starter heading into game one of the playoffs. You heard it here first. No, that's obviously... That's our cutout right there, by the way. Yeah, we're gonna use that's that. what we're using. But Boom. Out of context. Frederick Anderson, over the last four years, again, I say this every time, he's been a top 10 goalie in the world. I would argue he's a top five goalie in the world. It's hard to make that argument right now when he's struggled basically since December 1st. Mm-hmm. And you look at his save percentage, hasn't been great. And that's a long time. It is. But you know what else is a long time? Five, six years of Frederick Anderson being a top 10 goal That is also NHL. a long time. And I tend to bet on that as opposed to a recent stretch of play. When Vasilevsky started off the season really you know, poorly and people are thinking, ooh, was he overrated? I'm thinking, no, he's going to return to being Andre Vasilevsky. I think Frederick Anderson is going to return to being Frederick Anderson sometime in the very near future. But Jack Campbell's playing really well to the point where if he keeps playing like this, we get to this point around this time next year all of a sudden, we're talking about the Leafs moving on from Frederick Anderson and Jack Campbell not just being a good backup option, but potentially a starter that could succeed Frederick Anderson. Now, we're, what, four starts into Jack Campbell's yeah. career as a Maple Leaf? So it's obviously early, especially for goalies. For goalies, mm-hmm. we need, what, over 100 games before we really know what you are, and Campbell hasn't played that at the NHL level yet. So we're still working on a really tiny sample here at a position where there's so much volatility from game to game from month to month, from season to season. You can have great goalies who have a down year come back and are excellent that next season. So I don't want to overreact too much to four games of Jack Campbell, but I have liked what I've seen. Trajectory-wise, over the last few years, he's been on the upswing, obviously in L.A. Not the greatest greatest year there. But again, I always give goaltenders a bit of a break when it's a lost season. So I don't know. I like what I've seen from Jack Campbell. I think he's the backup solution this season. And next season, and then the question after that is, okay, what do the Leafs do in net after Frederick Anderson's contract runs out? And I think that's a very fair question. I think the Leafs have to worry about the here and now. And the here and now for them since acquiring Jack Campbell is that they can optimize every start now. I mean, just look at this weekend. They have back-to-back games. I mean, obviously before Hutchinson would take one, but he would probably, well, at least the way Babcock did it, you would get the second game. But in this case, they can sort of move the pieces around a little bit more comfortably. They can go into this game against an inferior opponent, at least in terms of what they can bring in terms of finishing talent. They can put their backup in there and feel really good about mm-hmm. it and not worry about, hey, if we lose this one, then we're on a second night of a back-to-back and we have to win the next one. No, they can go into every start and play the best. The be- They can pick the best option every time and the option that makes the most sense, whether it be Jack Campbell on some rest against an inferior opponent Freddie Anderson, you know, on the second night of a back-to-back here, or just Anderson against a really good team midweek, you know, after he played 48 hours previous, just because they're playing a really good team and they want Freddie in there. I just think they don't have any hesitance now with what they're going to do in goal. They can do anything they want, everything that makes the most sense, and that's a real luxury and something really important to have going down the stretch where they can't leave any more points on the table. And one of the big things about having a goaltender that you can trust is that it impacts the way that your defense in front of you is going to play because if you have a goaltender that you can't trust and now you're defending a three-on-two rush, you're really worried about that initial shot. That shot from the outside that most of the time on a three-on-two, you're fine with giving up because you want to take away the backdoor passes. If you have Michael Hutchinson in net and you're worried about him making that save from the top of the circle, you're going to extend out a little bit further than you normally would to take away that shot, and now you've given up the backdoor pass, and now it's a backbreaking pass that he actually didn't have a chance mm-hmm. on. But yeah. <laughs> with Jack Campbell in net, you can collapse a bit closer to the net and take away those backdoor passes. I don't like the extent to which Toronto collapses in their own end. I'd like to see them apply a bit more pressure towards the puck carrier on the strong side of the ice, but... I like the fact that they clearly know that they have a goaltender they can trust now, and it's impacting them in a positive way when it comes to their defensive zone structure. And you can definitely tell that they, like the body language is a lot better in front of Jack Campbell than it is in front of Michael Hutchinson. After every goal Hutchinson would let in, you can see the defense hanging their heads. There was some, um, yeah, just some, I wouldn't say apathy, but just some very annoyed uh, hockey players. But even when you play beer league, when your goalie lets yeah. in a bad goal and everyone just thinks, oh, come it's like, on, here we go man. again. But when a goaltender that you actually trust lets in a bad goal, 
you're thinking, we got you. You know, yes, we'll get it exactly. back for you. And it feels like there's a bit more of that mentality. Stick right taps now. around. Yeah. Um, someone who did score tonight was Jake Muzzin. It was his first goal in 35 games, which is crazy, but that's not exactly what he gets paid to do. And he's about to get paid a lot more money, or we don't know how much more money, but he's about to get paid for four more years because on uh, headlines, uh, Chris Johnson, oh no, yes, it was Chris Johnson, mm-hmm. reported that. Um, uh, that apparently the extension for Muzzin that we taught that has been you know bandied about ever since Thursday, uh, it is or Wednesday I believe um, it's going to be four years, and uh, that seems to be pretty good. Is, that seems to be probably the ideal kind of length that you'd want on that. Um, we don't know what the dollar what the dollars are, and apparently the extension won't come because you have to wait until March first before you can allocate a certain amount of money to the cap next year. I've never heard this rule before, but because it's the Leafs, it's a big deal. So. Um, I would like to ask you two fine gentlemen, you know, how you feel about this report and, uh, you know, what, what would you like to see from this Muzzin deal in terms of financials and uh, other than uh, term now that we know what it's going to be? I mean, I think you kind of know my take. I, I can't believe it's only four years. I mean, Jake Muzzin, we're looking at a 31 year old who's going to have probably one last chance to sign a lucrative contract and that's this summer or right after March 1st. Or apparently. March 1st. Yeah. Um, and, and I know if he went to the open market, he could get a six or seven year deal. I don't know what the, I don't know if it would affect the money in a certain way, uh, but he is a wanted commodity and someone that obviously could do pretty well on the open market. Four years is a significant concession on his part. Uh, and it seems like the money he's going to take a little haircut as well, because I always believe that he could get more than six million. It looks like he's going to take something less than six million. So if you're winning uh, against the open market, at least on term and on dollar. And this is a defenseman that you like in areas beyond ex- what he does from shift to shift in the locker room. Everything about Jake Muzzin, I know the Leafs like. I-, I can't see how this isn't a home run. Let me play a bit of devil's advocate because there has been a lot of debate on Leafs Twitter about this. And frankly, I've been on your side when it comes to the fact that I think that Jake Muzzin is the least most valuable defenseman at even strength. Mm-hmm. And I think he's more valuable to the team than Morgan Riley. And I know that that's a hot take. It shouldn't be really, though. I think Morgan Riley's point totals yeah. tend to overstate his impact on the game, especially considering how much he gives up defensively. But here's the thing. Who would you rather have over the next four seasons? Morgan Riley, ages 25 through 29, or Jake Muzzin, age 31 through 35? That's the question you have to ask yourself. And when you word it that way, all of a sudden we get into the concerns that come with signing a player into their 30s. We've already seen Muzzin get banged up a few times this year. He's only going to get more injured the older he gets. Usually you don't get healthier as you get older. The injuries just tend to compound and make you slower. And we saw what happened to P.K. Subban. All it takes is one significant injury in your late 20s or early 30s, and you could fall off a cliff. Muzzin, it hasn't happened to him yet. But... There's an argument that, okay, he already plays a slow game, but because he's such a smart player, he's still going to find a way to have a positive impact on play. But if the game keeps getting faster and more skilled, and we just have these Nikolai Ehlers, Johnny Gaudreau's, Connor McDavid's, all these speedy players coming into the league in a couple years, and Muzzin gets slower, suffers another leg injury, let's say, will he be able to keep up with the speed of the NHL and still be able to provide that top-pairing value that you're paying him to provide? That's the risk that you have to take into account here. I just think the cost of losing him is too severe. I mean, this window is supposed to be open this year. Who's to say if it is? I mean, they uh, they obviously haven't put themselves in a great position, even if they do make it in. Florida uh, needs to keep losing games at the right. And they, they are. Yeah. They, they are, are, they are games. losing games. They're they're opening the door, or I guess the window. Um, but next year, I mean, th- it should be we should be looking at championship or bust seasons coming up. So if you get rid of him, you have to replace him. I don't know how they replace him. They don't. Yes, they have four left-shot defensemen, but if you're banking on both Dermot and Sandine to not just continue to provide what they're providing, but take a significant step where they're playing up, both of them are playing up in their current positions, I just think that's hopeful thinking, wishful thinking. Uh, I just think this is a guy that's going to be so critical to their success next season, and as much as you can't, you know, make decisions down the road and push, push things off, push problems off, this isn't something, this isn't a huge term. This isn't six or seven years. This is four years. I think you're going to get a lot of good, the majority of these seasons are going to be good, if not all of the seasons, I think will be pretty good. And they are a win now team, like we've talked about this many times. And uh, to your to kind of like sort of mimic the question format that you just asked, 
would you rather go into next season with Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin, or would you rather go into next season with just Morgan Riley? I know which answer I would have. And if they're a win-now team, and the, and the window's really... And a lot of people are arguing, you know, and Jack Campbell's changed this, but a lot of people are arguing now, the window is almost... At least their immediate window and how they're framed right now almost ends at the end of Frederick Anderson's deal too, which is the end of next year. Why, like, if if you're gonna if, if you're looking to win a Stanley Cup in next season, by like this this season should have been the championship or bust season in my opinion. But next season, there is no question about it. It is. You have all of your stars now definitively in their prime. Everything's kind of lined up. Get Jake Muzzin in there. He's he. They love him. Everyone is happier around him. Everyone plays better around him. He, you know, he's the rising tide that rise that you know raises most boats that are around him. I think that's worth the four year uh, the four year deal, which is a lot better than it probably could have been. If we're being realistic, I think the Leafs championship window is however long Austin Matthews is on this team, mm-hmm. or at least as long, he's playing at an elite level, scoring forty five plus goals per season. And this would put them right in line together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Austin Matthews is under contract until, is it 2024? Four more years is, after is that this. that the last year? Yeah. yeah, and then he goes to Arizona. No, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Were you Brian Burke? Jeez. <laughs> I had to bring that in here. But that's my argument, is that it's not a win-now mentality. You're going to have four years, in my opinion, where you're going to have a core of Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, and... Muzzin company you know yeah. and the the supplementary players you know the trevor moores of the world oh sorry about that one but wait are you comfortable allocating that cap space to a player who there's a significant risk of him potentially falling off of a cliff that's the concern that you have and you said who else can play those minutes if you give morgan riley a partner who can defend and make a breakout pass what does that look like on a top pair we've never got to see it we got to see Riley and Barry together, but that never really well, made Barry sense doesn't realistically. Exactly. Yeah. We've seen Riley and Zaitsev together. He can't make a breakout pass. We've seen Riley Hainsey can't make a breakout pass. We've seen Riley Polak. He's just bad. Yeah, we're just not going to talk about that. <laughs> I guess one last benefit of Muzzin is that he is a free asset in terms of they don't have to give up anything to re-sign him, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to go out and find uh, Morgan Riley, a new defense partner, which they're going to have to do. You're going to have to spend something to get it. This team is spending their their important draft picks too quickly. The the prospect pool is probably being dwindled, maybe not as quickly. Uh, but then you look at trading something off the roster. And as we've seen with Andreas Janssen out, suddenly it's a little bit thin at mm-hmm. the lower parts of this roster because they've been dealing with so many injuries. So this there's no nothing else can hurt them except... I believe maybe you know, you're three and four, and I think that's being sort of overly pessimistic because I still believe that Jake Muzzin at least has three more quality, quality years in him. That's another good transition with the Andreas Janssen injury mm-hmm. because now that he's out and quote-unquote not short-term, yes, which sounds like it's going to go into April, which is obviously the playoffs, he can't be moved at the deadline. So if you're looking to acquire a right-handed defenseman with term, which is what we've been hearing that the Leafs yeah. are interested in acquiring. Which every team should be interested in acquiring. Every team wants a top four defenseman That is like asking, top. that's being like, I want a Bugatti. Yeah. The hard part is who's selling. Matt Dumba's name has been floated out there, but I think it's the Tyson Berry problem in that I don't think that what Matt Dumba provides to your team is what the Leafs really need. I think the Leafs obviously would love to have a Josh Manson, but I'm not sure if Anaheim's comfortable giving him up. Oddly enough, the the best kind of compromise in terms of what the Leafs might actually be able to acquire at the deadline and what might actually be available and fit their needs is a Dylan DeMello type, and I know that that's not a sexy name. I know that's not a name that anyone wants to hear. It is in the analytics community right now. He is, his, his charts, his, his little heat maps, yep. they're all elite this season despite being on a terrible team. So that has value, but is Dylan DeMello someone that you want in your top four late in the game? I don't know. Maybe he's a number four defenseman, number five. I'd prefer him on a bottom pairing. I'd live with him on a second pairing. He also doesn't have term. He's a UFA at the end of this year. I'm never a big fan of trading assets for rentals. Yeah, you and know? he's a rental. Like he, like unless you resign him, but he's making nine hundred grand. He'll be a UFA at the end of the year. So it's it doesn't really fit what they want. And that's why I'm not sure a major trade happens by the deadline, unless it's a, a smaller name like a Demello or a Dylan or someone like that. And it sucks because I'd love to be talking about some big names that Leafs are going to go out and acquire right now. 
but it's difficult finding a trade that makes sense for both teams. We do this online all the time where we try to trade uh, Bracco, Connor Brown in a second for every team's top four right-handed defenseman. Shout out Bobby Cappuccino. That's the best meme ever. But when you actually try to pull off a trade that makes sense for both teams, you realize that it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's the, the sad reality of NHL GMs not wanting to make big-time trades. I wasn't convinced it was going to happen, but they I think they suffered one too many pretty significant injuries yep. because if they had just CC on IR, you could do something, right? You could trade from the middle class and and replace CC if you wanted to, but now they don't they don't have enough players within that small little bubble or that that zone where you would consider moving them to get that player even though you have all the financial fle- flexibility in the world right now because you might have three important players on LTIR to to start the playoffs. So uh, it's funny how it was supposed to be this doomsday scenario at the start of the year. They're going to have to blow up their team because of all the cap implications. And now they have so much money, but they can't use it. It's amazing how it's sort of turned out. That is that is tragic irony right there, for sure. So if Morgan Riley, Cody Cece, and Andreas Janssen are out until April on LTIR, that gives the Leafs a ton of cap That's flexibility. That's $13 million, it I believe. It gives them enough cap flexibility to bring home P.K. Subban. Does but again it go it goes to the I look, I'm all in on that. I would love that. But then Cap Armageddon comes this summer. Yes. But that's a net that's a this summer problem though. We're not in this summer right now. But then again Don't sign Jake Muzzin, but go out and get PK yeah. Subban. Let's Real talk do it. though. If you could get PK Subban on a deal where 4. the Devils 5. ate some of the salary. Yeah. So you're you're saying eat half the salary. Has I'm not sure if you can get you I do it. Has to be half? I, look, it, you you're not giving up a lot either, probably. Like I, I you have to. He's he has this year and then one more year for a name brand player like yeah, that. Yeah, but it's a name brand, but he's been awful. Yeah, I mean you don't want to he be the last at either. the end of a depreciating asset, and that's the that's route that what he's done. Sadly, that's the route PK Subban's taking. Is there any way that you'd be able to talk yourself into a PK Subban trade if you're Kyle Dubas? Yeah, it's PK Subban. I don't think there you jo- go. I, Justin. I don't think he can get that. Uh, I mean. Let's be let's be honest. I've been avoiding New Jersey Devils games as much as possible this year, so I don't know exactly where he is. But when I just sort of pick up on the trajectory, uh, I don't believe he's worth the money at half the cost. That's fair. Do you hear that, New Jersey? You do not deserve Justin Cuthbert's attention. I mean, Boom. they didn't show up for the first month of the regular season either, and still haven't. Um, but with with Janssen out though, and we're gonna get into your report cards after this. Don't worry. But um, with Janssen out, we kind of t- tend to forget that there's a player involved because when he was announced, the, the the only thing I saw on Twitter when it was announced that it's not going to be short-term was, sweet, LTIR money, let's go. He was a dollar figure, and there's a player there, and a player is being taken out of the lineup, and we've been talking about the middle class of forwards uh, throughout this whole the whole time we've been doing this, and now that's, that's one-third of that sort of core three of middle-class guys who are also trade assets that is gone. And so... Referring to Janssen, Kerfoot, Kapanen? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so um, it, it's really interesting to see sort of now in, in that it changed this this final injury that is now, I guess, sort of the death blow of his season or at least the regular season. Um, it's kind of it does it. How much does it change how we view Janssen this season? Because he's had this is his third uh, leg related injury right now. And he you know, those kind of I mean, you need to use your legs to play hockey. You just do. Fun and so fact. how Yeah, fun fact. I am a doctor after all. So trust me. Um yeah, but I'm not. But anyway, but like, uh, how much can we judge him on this season? If you know he's been dealing with all these health problems, he's finally out. It just doesn't seem like he was able to ever catch his momentum, ever kind of be the player that he's wanted to be. How much can we judge him based on you know the the health troubles that he's kind of be dealing with? It's always tough when a player is dealing with an injury. I feel the same way about Morgan Riley. Honestly, he, he couldn't skate to start the year. They were playing it was, in big minutes. You could tell. It's very clear. Then he started to feel a bit better later in the season. I want to say November, December, he started to noticeably have better foot speed. Then he suffered another injury and is back to square one. So it's always tough. We, we don't know for sure. This is one of those situations where you'd love to know behind the scene how much every player is aching because sometimes throughout the course of an 82-game regular season, you have a month or so where a player is playing banged up and they don't look good. They don't play well. And fans are asking for them to drop down the lineup. They don't. And the reason is because the coaches and the players all know that he's playing hurt and he's trying to find a way to fight through it. And I feel like that's been Janssen a lot of this season. He hasn't looked like the dynamic winger that we saw last year, even the season before when he was first called up. I think there's more there. I think trading Janssen now or trading someone like Travis Dermott right now or 
you could even make a case for Kasper Kapanen. It's at a low point in their value because they're clearly going to be better than they've been this season. So is it a smart move to trade them from an asset management standpoint? Probably not. But at the same time, like Justin said, you're in win-now mode. And if these players aren't helping you, is there any way you can flip them into someone who can help you? It's a difficult conversation you have to have with yourself if you're a GM. I think that's why Dermot is the only one that really makes sense. And that hurts me to say, but it's true. So obviously we're going to see. I, I mean, I doubt that would happen, but, uh, you know, there's not much that Kyle Dubas can play with moving forward. But that's a we, great do, segue. we do have a player coming up, apparently, according to his agent. Mm-hmm. Igor Korshkov, <laughs> not with a Y, with a Y? Uh, I think in North America, it's with an, just an E. Officially just an E. He apparently is coming up, and I don't know why you guys are worried about Andreas Janssen, because Igor Korshkov's coming up to... I guess, spell someone on the fourth line. Do you think he's going to play? Is this like a Pontus Aberg situation where he gets one game and then he's out again? Aberg got two, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he got he two. two. Okay, it feels Give him like at least one. Two. And for him. It felt like one. It did feel like one. He was. I remember all the hype around him coming up. It, everyone wanted to succeed. But Korshkov, he is, he is one of the most fascinating, not fascinating, but just perplexing players I've kind of watched live. You know, watching him on the Marlies in the playoff run last year, he was just, just so slow. Like just he couldn't keep up with the pace of an AHL game. He 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 looked sort of out of place, but he had this create this offensive creativity, especially in tight, where every once in a while you'd see him try this move and you'd be like, whoa, that doesn't that shouldn't be coming from a frame like his. Um, he is 23, so he's actually on the older end of what a prospect kind of is. He's you know approaching that sort of the I like to call it the Scott Wheeler cutoff date, where 24 is when you stop becoming a prospect. Is it 23 or 24 with Scott. It's Wheeler. 24. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or I I believe it's 24. Me and him gotten into debates about this before. Yes. So. Debating with Scott Wheeler I never happened never, before. Never. Um, but he's also, he has, so he has been good in the AHL this season, but his point totals actually don't really jump out to me as much as I thought they would, but it's 20 points in 37 games. He scored uh, the OT winner for the Marlies in their crazy comeback uh, today against Belleville. Uh, this is this is also his first full season on North American ice. What, uh, what do we think? I'm learning more and more not to trust points at the yes. AHL level when I'm evaluating it is the players. Biggest, it's the biggest pitfall of evaluating players spe- either way. Because you look at Bracco, point per game guy, and you're like, this guy's going to be a superstar. And Andrew Nielsen's not. rookie season. Yeah. People talk about him being called up. And I'm thinking, if you watched him play, he can't skate. <laughs> and where is he now? Yeah. So that's the thing. Zach Hyman in the AHL wasn't a big time point producer, but that dude drove play. And we're all jazzed up about him on this podcast. Exactly. So with Igor Korshkov... Even though the point production isn't, you know, where you'd love to see it at the point per game rate, like Jeremy Bracco, I have a feeling that at five and five, he's more impactful player than Jeremy Bracco because he's probably back checking and he's probably winning puck battles and he's probably working out on his off days. <laughs> <laughs> but with Korshkov, six foot four, not Alex Debrinkat, but a player who huge if true, by the way. Sorry, I have to bring that up every time just because the 2016 draft is. Yes. Oh, Thank you, Mark Hunter. That I took so much flack for getting mad at the 2016 draft the day afterwards. I was so infuriated with the decisions that the Leafs made in that draft. Everyone told me that I was an idiot for wanting all these small, short, skilled players. Turns out Alex DeBrincat and Sam Gerrard are doing pretty good, by the way. But getting back to yeah. the six foot four, lanky, very skilled Russian. Yeah. I like his overall kind of toolkit. Reminds me of Pierre Engvall in that. There are a lot of positives there where you think, if you put this all together, there's an NHL player there. I don't know what he is at the NHL level. Is he a third-line guy? Is he a fourth-line guy? Is he going to kill penalties? I don't think so, but you could put him net front on the power play, maybe in a shooter role on the wall on a PP2. I haven't been watching the Marlies close enough to know how well he's been progressing at that level. I usually watch the Marlies a lot closer, but... With doing the Leafs report cards after every single yeah, Leafs game this year, I've been you know putting a bit more on my plate at the NHL level and less at the AHL level. But I know you have a lot more Marley's contacts and people who have been watching those games closely. What have they been saying about Igor Korshkov? Uh, they're saying that he's faster. I mean, we saw that even in the preseason. <laughs> it's, it's hard not to be but faster you need, than he was in yeah, the playoffs You needed last year. to. And, and Barb Underhill is the, arguably the most valuable asset in the Leafs organization. Um, have you have you seen him at, at practice at all? Like just in terms of, because you're, you're on the ground in the trenches. There's not many crossovers. There was one crossover practice early uh, where they were doing some stuff on the same ice first exposed to the music at practice which is another thing entirely but no but i do see what barb does uh especially with john Tavares a lot 
um, working with Freddie Goche, working with Ilya Mikheyev lately uh, as he starts to get back onto the ice. Frederick Goche owes his career to Barb yeah. Underhill. Yeah, I mean, you can just see the more that they work with her, I mean, I mean the better. She's, yeah. she's at practice all the time and she should be and there should be doing, you know, there should be one-on-one tutorials going on, you know, outside of the practice schedule because it's it, an invaluable tool uh, for the Maple Leafs who have produced, you know, have turned some players that, you know, had these deficiencies in their game have now uh, made their marks on the big team right now and having are pretty important to the success and failure uh, of this team right now. Absolutely, but it's. I guess we'll we'll we're running a little over, so we might as well go and finish off with uh, with your report cards, your baby, your 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 content I'm ex- gem. I'm excited for Igor Korshkov to get a grade next game. Yeah, are we it, sure he's playing? If he Is plays, definitely I'm, happening. I'm. I don't just think, assuming he's playing. I don't okay. think they'd call holding a hope. I don't think they, they call him up. Called up Lilligren and then didn't play. Him? You know what it's though? Really weird. We don't even know if they've called him up. It's just Dan. <laughs> like, like we don't even have a Leafs PR notification. There's be a message from Leafs PR saying no, we have not. Yeah. We just dedicated a whole segment just to a fictitious. It's just Dan Milstein at uh, hockey. Just it's a paper uh, you know, transaction. He's down the next day. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. He jumped the gun. I guess I don't know. It happened in the middle of the second period, and everyone was like, "Wait, what?" But um, your report cards do them after every game, just like we do here. Except you've been doing it for much longer. These are actually a really great tool for anyone who you know either misses the game and can kind of just get a great like you know sort of snippet or snapshot of what happened. But also, it's a great way of kind of uh, in a, in a very tight sample size kind of judging players and how they performed um so uh who is the most impressive player on the ice tonight for you who is the least impressive uh you know the the question you send out on twitter every night we're gonna flip it right back on to you yeah i do that a most impressive player and b least impressive i used to do like best and worst but i've tried to be more positive in the way yeah. that i word things you know most impressive, least impressive. Doesn't seem as rude that way. I thought Jack Campbell was the player of the game for the Leafs, so I gave him the game ball. And unfortunately, my boy, Travis Dermott, gets one star again in this game, and that seems to be happening a lot this season. And if you watch him play, you can see that he doesn't look good in the defensive zone, that he hasn't been moving the puck out as well as he has been in the past. He doesn't look confident, and that's the biggest thing that you notice. If you look at his numbers, you see those little heat maps? His first two years in the league, dominant, spending all the time in the offensive zone, none of it in the defensive zone. This year, it's the other way around. When you adjust for the usage, because he's been getting shots, and you move up the lineup, you face some tougher minutes. All of a sudden, that super tight gap that you play can cost you a bit more and give up more odd man rushes. And I still believe in Travis Dermott and his talent and his edge work that he has refined under Barb Underhill. Who are we talking about? But. At what point will I have to give up on Travis Dermott? I'm not sure, and I think that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. I'll be the last person dying on Travis Dermott Island. I'll be there with my castaway beard, drinking coconut water or milk or whatever it's called. (laughs) Either one. It's fine. I still believe in this guy, and I know a lot of people have given up on him, but I just think that he's too talented for this to be what he is as an NHL player because we've seen him be better than this. Is this injury-related? So again, like we said with Andreas Janssen and Morgan Riley, starting the season injured can have an adverse impact on everything. Missing training camp, we saw with William Nylander, can have an adverse impact on your season. And I don't like making excuses for players because at some point you're a professional and you got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, John Tavares, to start the season, wasn't playing well, and everyone was making all these crazy excuses about, well, you know what, his sleep schedule is probably a bit sun. disturbed because of the sun. And I'm thinking, well, people have kids and you still have to go to work, you still have to do your job. So... Even though I want to find these excuses for someone who I truly believe in, in a Travis Dermott, it's his job to show up for work and do a good job, and he hasn't been this season. I think he'd tell you that himself. I think he's well aware of the fact that he's not playing his best hockey right now. What is he long-term? Because he's been effective in a third-pairing role. The question is whether or not he can move up the lineup and you can comfortably play him in secondary usage. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that you want that playing shutdown minutes. He doesn't seem like that kind of player. But can he be a Tory Krug who in secondary, in against second, third lines, you give more offensive zone starts, you play him alongside a partner who can settle things down a bit. Is he someone who's going to tilt the ice positively in your team's favor? I always thought the answer to that question was going to be yes. And now I find myself a bit concerned. So I don't know. I haven't given up yet, but I'm starting to see why a lot of people have. I'd say we could all do grades, but I don't know if we're going to. Mine are the exact same. Exactly. Yeah. How would I mean, you it was pretty obvious tonight. Today? Ooh. Least, least, most impressive, least impressive on the panel. Yeah. 
I'm gonna give myself uh, two stars. Okay. Not, not my best effort, but you know, I, I feel like I made a few solid plays there. You probably yeah. can't grade me until we get out because I think I'm gonna try and close the podcast. So like that's the getting in and out Ooh. is so important. Okay. We're never gonna know. You're, you're gonna yeah. Mitch Marner gonna loft to do it, it into post, an empty net. Post wow. pod. You really are going to loft into the empty net. Wow, it's going to be great. Um, Marner was literally going to get a bad grade in the game, and then he did that, and I'm thinking, well, now I have to give you more than two stars. Yeah, it's... uh, yeah. it it was a weird game. It was just a, such a like we you were you were kind of like you know expressing it in real time your grading process and it was just like I don't know what to do here like this is nothing's happening this yeah, is so I, weird. I realized I did not want to be you when you were doing it. Yeah. I was like how could you how could you look at all these individual performances and like like provide a gradient like some of yeah them are, <laughs> yeah in like, real talk some of them are easy because Jack Campbell played awesome that's five stars easy. boom Austin Matthews scored a goal and we can talk about that, that was Travis it. Dermott was bad we can but talk like, about that I for like if you if you what do you have to say about Alex Kerfoot after that game but like gun to my, he well, was that's a yeah. recurring problem oh yeah <laughs> but like gun to my head if I had to tell you like one thing that Frederick Gauthier did tonight I think I'd die like I don't I don't know. I feel like I vaguely remember a misplay or the puck in his feet at the blue line at some point. I told an anecdote about how I thought he hit someone, but it turned out that it was Kyle Clifford wearing 73, <laughs> not 33. And I saw a six foot five go into the corner and hit somebody. I'm thinking, whoa, did Frederick Gauthier just hit somebody? No. But no, that's Your that, eyes that would lying. never happen. Just wishful thinking on that part. It's, it, it is obvious. It was just such a weird game. Like, I know we, we hammered that point home, but it was just, it, it seems like it, even last game like against uh it was against dallas last time right or was it yes it was against dallas um there didn't seem to be a lot happening in that game but there was a lot that happened around it this game other than like the muzzin four-year you know term report or whatever it was just like they went into ottawa they played a game and that was it sometimes this that's just what happens maybe it's the sleep deprivation over the last few days i, I know that i'm getting ready for my la trip i leave on tuesday i'm gonna go see your boy trevor moore yeah no, that, that's why you're going right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. O- on the ground reporting i'm gonna be like uh justin cuthbert here in the trenches with ryan rashad yeah <laughs> saving private justin okay i'm gonna work my way to that grade because i think it's i think with this ran its <laughs> course here it's time uh, so actually it was a big win because the Florida Panthers lost earlier in the day. So it was kind of a four point victory because they were able to gain some ground, uh, some meaningful ground on the Florida Panthers. But you know what? Tampa and Boston, I believe they both won as well. So that dream, if not dead, pretty close to dying. It looks like the Leafs are going to scale as high as three, if anything. Uh, but they will have a chance to gain more ground against the Buffalo Sabres tomorrow night. It'll be Frederick Anderson and net will be back. The Leafs will try to continue on what is a what was the 110 point pace under Keefe? I think 112. 112. It changes. Yeah. Could be 113 if they win in Buffalo tomorrow night, and we're gonna talk about everything that happens. Hopefully, more will happen, right, Mike? Yep. <laughs> That's what I hope so. You can now say goodbye. Oh, bye. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.